I was reading, how many of you have read your Bible and just had to stop at a verse? You just read it a thousand times, but this time you read it, it just like jumps out at you. And that's kind of what happened to me this week because I was getting ready, really fully prepared to do David. And I read this, this verse that I've read many times before and it kind of just stopped me right there. And I assume it's probably for what we need here. We're going to read something in Luke, the Christmas story. But before we read that scripture, let's figure out what's happening right now in history. Up until this point, in Luke, was a dark time for Israel. They had not heard anything from God for over 400 years. No prophets had been called. Nothing had been shared from God. It was pretty much a dark time. The spiritual leaders in Israel were also far from God. And they had gotten tangled up in 400 years of tradition and what they wanted to do. And they basically pushed God's laws and his heart to the side in favor of what they decided to do for themselves. And the question is, do we see some of that today? Do we push aside what God has written in order to fulfill what we think God would want more, which is what they did with their traditions? I wrote the question down here, does the world or even the church have traditions that may be good, but not really what God has required or called us to do or to be? I can think of a few denominations that have forsaken God's law for what society has dictated that they should become. And a lot of times they don't even know it. And sometimes these traditions have been so ingrained in us or in our society or churches, we don't even know it. And I I experienced that firsthand last week. Most of you know I was raised Catholic and went through all the Catholic stuff. Was an altar boy for a couple years. And someone asked me on a Wednesday night about confession. If you've been in a Catholic church, you know how that works. Say, you go in, you confess, and they tell you what to pray. And someone said to me, what is, what is an Our Father? Or what is a Hail Mary? I haven't been in a Catholic church for probably 40 years. But I was able to recite those prayers off verbatim. Why? Because I was ingrained in that in my youth. We have to constantly be on guard. We don't make our preferences of what we like a tradition that we think God has ordained. Why? Because things that we deem as traditions may push what God wants out of the way because we like them. We enjoy them. And it makes us feel good when we do them. We've been studying on Wednesday night the book Good or God, and one of the things he stresses in that series is a lot of times the things that we think God likes, the works that we do, we think that those things are what makes us right with God. When in fact, our heart is not in it. And it becomes more of a tradition of what we do rather than doing it because God has called us to do it. Another example of people who like to have change. For those of you who remember, how many remember tube TV sets? TV sets used to have big tubes in them. I worked in a radio shack for a number of years and we used to have that big tube tester machine and to bring the tubes in and test the tubes. Well, I remember when tubes were transitioning to what they called solid state. How many remember that transition? Well, my grandparents did not like solid state. They, they were not into it. And so what they did is their last TV that they bought, they wanted to make sure 
It was a tube set because it was a much better set. <laughs> Why? Because they had been ingrained in the thought that this was the only way to do it and this way is the best way to do it. And so they bought this tube set, but they made sure that their TV had instant on. How many remember that? Where the tube stayed hot all the time, so when you turned it on, it came on. Why? Because it was a tradition for them, something that they always had done and always thought it was going to be that way. They became comfortable with what they were doing, and their comfort overrode their desire to change and see what was happening. And we see how the traditions in Bible times eventually caused the death of Christ. The traditions, what people thought God wanted, was what caused Jesus to die. So given that it was a tough time being a devout Jew and not following traditions that everyone was following, I'm going to look at a couple that bucked the trend. Luke 1.5 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment. Not only were devout Jews who were living in that time, it was hard for them. It was hard for them not only from the Jewish people, but it was also hard for them from the government officials. Herod the Great, he was, he was a nominal Jew. He was actually an Edomite from Esau. So he was appointed by the Roman government to have rule over that section of Israel. He was a, what they call a tetrarch. A tetrarch, he was basically the ruler over one quarter of the province in which they lived, which was part of which was Galilee. So history tells us that he had a, about nine or 10 wives. He executed one of his wives for no apparent reason. He was the one that ordered the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem. So you kind of get an idea of what this guy was like. Pretty wicked guy. So he was the ruler at that particular time. So not only was the Roman government opposed to Jewish people, they let them be as long as they didn't cause any problems. Herod was also a thorn in their side. So even though all this was going on around them, Zechariah was a guy who was living right. Not only that, I wrote down here, for him, churches and Christians are okay as long as we don't rock the boat. How many have felt that in society? You're okay doing what you do. Just don't try to change anything else. You can go in your corner, you can worship, do what you want, but stay away from society, stay away from public life. And that's exactly what was happening with Zechariah. All these traditions that the people had set up basically made it very hard for a devout Jew to worship God correctly. But even in spite of all those odds, he kept at it anyways. And I thought about that for a second, and I wrote down here, no matter how dark the times are, God always has a remnant of people who follow him in spite of what's going on around them. And the question is, do we want to be that? Because if times become hard for us, are we going to be sticking still? Verse 5 goes on and says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest, a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. No matter how hard the times are for us, God still calls us to live righteously. How many know that's true? 
Doesn't matter what's going on in our lives, in the world, God still requires us to live for him. And I'm sure that the pressure that these two received from their family and their friends and the society made it hard. Probably not pleasant for them to serve God correctly because how come you're not conforming to everybody else? How come you're not doing what everybody else is doing? Why do you want to be so different than everybody else? Don't you see, Zechariah, you're just old-fashioned. That's not the way that the, the law is today. The Pharisees have new rules you need to follow. Society has different rules we need to follow now. Simply trusting God's word, that's, that's just foolishness, Zechariah. What are you doing? You don't need to read God's word for yourself. Let someone, let the professional tell you what God's word says. How many have <laughs> seen those? Whenever you watch, at least for me, a newscast or any kind of documentary where they interview a Christian, the person they interview is probably not the person you would want representing you. They don't be, they're not able to articulate what they want to say, and if they are, they're not basically a biblical Christian, but they're considered a professional, and that's whose word people trust. How often do we take for granted what people tell us, either in preaching or on TV or radio? Do we listen to things with a discerning ear? Are we able to pick up truth from error when people tell us so? We all know the, the saying that says, professionals built the Titanic, amateurs built the ark. So here we have an older couple who, in spite of all the negativity, are still faithful to God. How often have we entertained the idea of conforming to what the world wants? It would be easier just to give in. If we just acquiesce just a little bit, maybe the world wouldn't think we're weird. Or they would maybe like us more. I'm sure that went through their minds a couple times. It's just so hard. Why don't we do what everybody else does? Have we been tempted to disregard our trust in Jesus because everyone seems to be telling us to do that? Or maybe what we believe we think is antiquated, foolish, or just wrong. And that isn't even why I stopped at this verse. Verse 7 is kind of why it grabbed me. It says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Wow. Not only do they get grief probably from those around them, they're struggling within themselves. They were having issues in their own life. Life for this couple who were faithful, they were faithful in spite of all the outside odds and yet their life wasn't perfect. Life had not gone the way they thought it should. Now, for most women in the Bible times, having children was a huge deal. That was the mark of a successful woman in Bible times. In fact, look how she expressed it when God actually showed up. Verse 25 says, the Lord has done this for me. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among my people. She called not having children a disgrace and she went her entire, almost her entire life without having them. Even though she was faithful, her and her husband were faithful, they did everything God wanted them to, 
Up to this point, God had not blessed them with a child. And I'm sure as a faithful Jew, they made this a matter of prayer. If they were faithful to serving God, as the Bible said, I'm sure they took time to pray about this and pray and pray and pray. And what happened? Up to this point, nothing. Remember Hannah in the Bible? I'm sure they read that account many times. And what's to say about Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.10? Hannah, as you know, was Samuel's wife, or uh, Saul's wife didn't have her. Yeah. He's, or, I'm losing my mind. But verse 10 says, In the bitterness of Saul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She was bitter and she wept and prayed to God because she was barren and couldn't have children. And I'm sure that's exactly how Elizabeth felt. Here we have a couple that most likely faced opposition from maybe their extended family, surely from society, maybe from their church people, Jewish folks. They couldn't count on any government help. They knew they couldn't start a trouble or rock the boat. They had nothing but their trust in the Lord to sustain them through this time. They simply lived their lives for God and continued in their obedience to him in spite of not having their prayers answered. How long have we prayed for something while being faithful and dedicated and serving and nothing happens? When I read that, I thought instantly about Hebrews chapter 11. They call Hebrews 11 the faith chapter. And it details all the accounts of God answering prayer dramatically and just supernaturally doing great things. Hebrews 11.32 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now we as believers, we trust this verse and we pray this verse and we live like this verse is relevant today because it is. But we can't stop at that verse because it continues on. We've all experienced miracles. We've all experienced supernatural things in our life. But sometimes we don't. And we keep praying, well, if God did this for me here, well, God's going to do this for me over there. But in the same, actually the same sentence that that one ended off, verse 35, where it said, women received back their dead, raised to life again, it continues, it says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Now do you think these people took time to pray? Do you think they trusted God for what was gonna happen? 
They believed that God was going to deliver them from their situation. But it didn't. It didn't happen. What does God say about this group of believers? This This sentence is for the ones who didn't receive it. Verse 39 says, they were all commended for their faith. Why? It says, yet none of them received what God had promised. Zechariah and Elizabeth both served God faithfully in spite of not having anything go their way baby-wise. In fact, if I'm Zechariah and Elizabeth, because it says they were up in years, so that they were past childbearing years. If I'm Elizabeth, I'm probably not praying about that anymore. God didn't answer. I'm okay with that. And I'm going to keep living my life serving God. They were faithful in spite of not getting what they prayed for probably most of their life. Now, we don't know how God is going to respond to all the difficulties in our personal lives as well as our church life. But we continue to serve faithfully in spite of what God does or doesn't do. Now, I call this when God is silent because God never explains to them all throughout, at least we don't have no, uh, an account of it, God never tells them what's going to happen. So in their eyes, they're praying and they're getting no response from God, no child, and they're okay with that. How often have we prayed and gotten no response? Not just no or wait or maybe or yes, but we've got nothing. Are we still able to serve God and be dedicated when God does not answer? I keep coming back to the situations like in Daniel, when the three Hebrew youths were going to get thrown into the furnace. Daniel 3.16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your hand. Doesn't stop there. Verse 18 says, But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, we read that verse. Question is, is that a lack of faith on their part? For saying something that was a possibility for them. These guys said, look, our God is able to do it. But we know there's a possibility that he may not. Either way, we're going to serve you. They acknowledged that this is a possibility. Was it a lack of faith or trust to acknowledge a possible outcome of a situation? I'm going to say no. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have health insurance? Do you not believe that God can heal you and take care of you? How many of you have homeowner's insurance? Do you not believe that God can protect your house? Car insurance. Do you not believe God can protect you on the road? Why do you have them? You have them because you know it's a possibility of what may happen in your life. You may have a fire. 
you may get sick, you may have a car accident. These are possibilities for us to ignore is foolishness. We have them because we know and acknowledge in our minds that this is probably a possibility. And we protect ourselves against that. When I got to visit Brenda yesterday, I talked to Judy, she wasn't, Brenda wasn't awake. And when I talked to Sue, and she is awake. Both of these ladies are acknowledging what is probably a good possibility in their lives. Unless God intervenes in a super miraculous way, their course of life is going to end at some point shortly. It is not a lack of faith, I believe, on their part to acknowledge that fact. Still praying, still trusting God, but we acknowledge the fact that this is probably what is going to happen. The bottom line to all that is we trust God regardless of the outcome. Regardless of what's happening in our lives, we keep praying, but we have to acknowledge what is probably a good possibility. Answered prayer or unanswered prayer doesn't affect the faith of the people who trust God. I said it before, living in the U.S. is an anomaly in Christianity. Christianity has traditionally been persecuted and tortured and all kinds of ridicule placed upon it. Many countries still do that today. In fact, I think it was uh, the Voice of the Martyrs said that more people have been martyred either this year or this century than have been the previous 19th centuries or 20th centuries. So it's still a possibility. And for us to, to not acknowledge that is foolishness because it's true. Our example should be like Zechariah and Elizabeth. They didn't get what they prayed for up until this point and they were well advanced in years, the Bible says, beyond childbearing years. Hannah went years without receiving. We serve God regardless of what God answers our prayer as. I've said this before. Hezekiah. Prophet came into Hezekiah and said, wrap your stuff up, buddy, you're going home. God's taking you home today. God gave Hezekiah time to put his house in order. He had time to say goodbye. He had time to wrap things up. He had time, and he knew what was going to happen. Now, the Bible says Hezekiah wept bitterly, and God gave him 15 more years. But I've said before, I don't believe that was God's perfect plan for him because it was during those 15 years that Manasseh was born. He backslid. All the bad things that happened to Hezekiah happened after God gave him the 15 years. And I believe that that was kind of a, a little window for us to understand why God says no sometimes. Because he sees what's going to happen in the future even though we don't. So when we acknowledge what is possible for us, it gives us a chance to, as Hezekiah was told, put your house in order. The family came in to see Brenda the other day at the doctor's request. Sue's two sisters are up from Florida. And her son was here. Why? Because they want to take that time to acknowledge what is probably going to happen. And for her to ignore that and for Brenda to ignore that, it doesn't 
you're not acknowledging something that looks like it's probably going to happen. Our dedication to serving God should not be based on whether God gives us what we want. Our dedication to serving God is our trust in who he is and that whatever he chooses for us is best. How many of you have little children or have had little children? When they are little, you don't give them what they want. You give them what is best for them. And they may think you are the meanest ogre on the planet for doing it, but you do it because you know what's best. When you take your child for a shot, when they're little, they have no idea of why they're getting a shot. All they know is their parent is allowing someone else to inflict pain on them for a moment. We have no idea why God allows this stuff to happen. Just like a little child, all we see is our father is allowing this to happen to us. The question is, do I trust our father in this situation? As the kids get older, they trust what their parents are allowing other people to do for them. God eventually did give Zachariah and Elizabeth and Hannah children, but their dedication was not based on what God did for them in the future. Their dedication was honored in the end because of what God did. They were faithful, and then God blessed that faithfulness. Doesn't happen for everybody, but it happened for them. I've noticed one thing in the Bible that I don't know how many times it says God sealed their womb. I don't know why it says that. But whatever the case is, do we trust God for that situation? Do we trust God for the outcome? Do we trust God on what is going to happen for us in the future? Their life, their ministry, their service to God was based on simply trusting him regardless of what was going to happen for them in the future because they had no guarantees. And in fact, as we mentioned before, they probably were resigned to the fact that it wasn't gonna happen. And they probably at some point, stopped praying about it. Do we serve God based on what we think God is going to do for us? Or do we serve God in spite of what may be happening in our lives at this moment today? Would you stand as we close this morning? Man, I'm letting you out early. I should be penalized for that. (laughs) Every head bowed, if you would, every eye closed. Each one of us, we have gone through our situations. We've gone through troubles, trials, sicknesses. When we go to the doctors for treatment, we're acknowledging there's something wrong but we trust God in spite of that. Whenever situations don't seem to be going our way, are we still faithful to what God wants? 
when we are disappointed by other Christians, do we still serve God? Because trust me, Christians will disappoint you. If God is silent and is not really answering you right now, do you keep pressing on? Do you keep serving him? Regardless of what it is. Trusting that God has a perfect plan for you. Even though we're a small in number this morning, I would be remiss in not offering you a chance to know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and something that was said, something that was sung really spoke to your heart. The Bible says that's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. And the Bible says that we are all sinners. We all fall short. None of us are worthy of heaven. None of us are worthy of eternal life. But God says that Jesus came to pay that penalty for you. He took up your debt. He paid it for you. And our job is simply to trust him for that. To acknowledge that we are sinners and to ask for Jesus to forgive us and to help us to change who we are. Because the Bible says once you become a Christian, you are a new creation. The old person that you were has gone and the new person that God has designed you to be has begun. If you're here and you've never really trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you would like to do that today, I want you to raise your hand real quick. All right, I'm going to believe that we are all committed followers of Christ this morning. Maybe some of you are struggling with an issue in your life of why God isn't answering, why God isn't changing the situation. There may be a couple of reasons for that. The first one is God gives people free will. People choose to do what they're going to do because God has allowed them that choice. So people may have hurt you, may have offended you, may have done poor things to you. That's not God's fault. That's a result of people having the ability to choose to do evil. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you've been struggling with illness as we know some of our church family has. Sickness is not a sign of God's disapproval. Sickness is simply a part of living in a fallen world. If you walk into a room with everyone sneezing and coughing, chances are pretty good you're going to walk out sneezing and coughing. We live in a world full of sickness and disease. And it happens because we live in that that atmosphere. Now God is able and he has done healings and miracles in my life and in the past of most lives. But miracles by definition are things that don't happen every day. We believe that God is a miracle working God. We believe that God is a healing God. 
But we also know that God is sovereign. That God has a perfect plan that may not line up with our perfect plan. But as a Christian, we trust that what God is doing is ultimately the best for us. We may hate it, we may despise it, but we know that God's in control of what the future is going to be. Let the Holy Spirit really release you from any guilt or hurt or pain you may be suffering because of that. Father, we thank you so much for being our dad, for us being able to crawl up in your lap and tell you that we love you and we appreciate you. And we're thankful that we are a part of your family by simply trusting in you. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. Nothing we can do can make you love us any more. And nothing we can do can make you love us any less. We're so thankful for your grace. Lord, I pray that you'd fill each person here continually with the Spirit of God. Allow us to experience the truth of your word. Not what we think, and not what others may tell us, but it's the truth of your word that sets us free. So Lord, I pray that the truth of your word really ministers to our heart and allows it to change us from the inside out that we would have the joy and the peace that are only found through the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have peace not because we can make it ourselves. We have peace because you give it to us. We have joy because you, through your Spirit, allow us to experience it. We can gin up happiness for ourselves, Lord, but we can't, we can't create joy. Only you can do that in us. So we pray that you would do that in our lives every day. I thank you for those who are here today, Lord. I pray your blessings upon their life. Continue, Lord, to minister to them, meet their needs, answer prayer, do great things, and build up our faith and trust in you as we serve you on a day-to-day basis. Father, we love you this morning, and we commit ourselves to you. We're your children. We're your kids, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Have a tremendous week. I should make you sit here for 15 minutes so I can get your money's worth. Have a great week, y'all.